Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. So, Father, we thank you right now. We thank you right now. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. God, by faith, we walk upon the water of that word. By faith, we live as though what you promise has already come to pass. We live from the place of victory, not the place of striving for victory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus. We're going to do two more things before I jump in. The spirit of prophecy is to edify and build up the church. We're going to do two more things. One is, Brother Clayton, stand up. I love this man. How many of y'all love this man? Miss Ann passed away last week. They were married 54 years. And I want, I want some people to just put your hand on him right now. I want the whole church to, to point your hand. We're going to just pray the peace of God over him right now. He needs to experience the peace of God in the middle of his, of his grieving time. So right now, Father God, we just pray. Come on, church, pray out loud. We just pray peace over you, brother. Come on, church, lift your voice and just prophesy and pray and declare peace over him. God, right now, God, as he is grieving, we just pray the peace of God on his soul. God, that you would flood his heart and his memories with good memories of Miss Ann. God, we pray that every time he closes his eyes, he would see the smile on her face. That you would give him to be able to see into the spirit realm the joy and the peace in her body and her heart as she is in the presence of the Lord right at this very moment. Comfort him, strengthen him to walk through this valley of shadow of death. And in the name of Jesus, everybody said... Amen. Amen. Love you, brother. And we're talking about thankfulness. Uh, we had a, a lady who's been going to church here for a few weeks, pulled me aside on Wednesday and just, Pastor, thank you about this church and all this kind of stuff. And so I want her to stand up. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. Stand up. Now, how long have you been coming here? Oh, this is my fifth time. This is your fifth time. And I'm just kind of tell everybody what you told me Wednesday night. Am I giving you the microphone? You're going to give it back one day? Okay. <laughs> Hi, my name is Candace, and um, I've been coming here for the last five weeks, and um, I'm originally from Shreveport, and um, Pastor Chester uh, did something that I've never seen in any church. Uh, the first time I came here, he said, if anyone's battling something and you need prayer to raise your hand, and I have been battling um, with a lot, and... Um, I raised my hand, I closed my eyes, and I felt hands touch me all over. About seven different people came and put their hands on me. And um, I'm in recovery uh, for drugs and um, abuse, and there's just been a lot of darkness in my life. Um, I'm 33 years old. Um, I am in the process of trying to get my children back, but first I have to get my life back. And... um, I'm finding my my walk with Christ is the most important thing to me because once I found the Holy Spirit and I felt the touch of God, I will never, ever go back. There's no way to ever turn around. And um, it, was, it was the best feeling I've ever felt in my life to hear prayer in each ear. And the Holy Spirit just shot through me from the hands of these people, strangers, and family now. Yeah. Come 
So thank you all so much. I think, you know, it doesn't really matter, but I think some people go, why we got to pray for each other so much and why we need to lay hands on each other? I mean, why we got to do that kind of stuff? I don't want people touching me. I don't want people laying hands on me. Well, maybe you're not desperate the way she was desperate. But to her say, the first thing I recognized about this church was to hear prayers in both ears. I'll trade a thousand different church programs to have a people who know how to lay hands on people and pray over one another. Amen? And so I'm just so grateful to be a part of a church who loves people enough to uh, get up in their space a little bit and uh, to pray and love on people. So thank you for being awesome. I thought you would be, how many of y'all are encouraged by that? I thought you'd be encouraged to hear that. We're going to receive an offering at the end, but right now I'm going to jump into this because this is very much right on track with what the Lord is, is saying through our worship and what the Lord is prophesying. And I started last week a sermon series on the armor of God. If you didn't get to hear the first sermon, it's on our website, uh, churchatthearmory.com. And you can go there and you can go to sermons and you can hear the, the past messages preached. Also, we have an Apple podcast where you can go Church at the Armory, Apple and Apple podcast, and you can look up these sermons. I encourage you to go back and hear last week if you haven't heard this week. Over the next few weeks, um, I'm going to be taking each one of the uh, pieces of armor and preaching an entire message on each one, one at a time. And so today we're at the belt of truth. This is just kind of what I feel the Lord saying today is that we're in a battle to believe that the Lord has spoken and what he has spoken is truth. And that we live from the place where the truth sets us free, but the lie keeps us in bondage. The lie keeps us underneath. The lie keeps us believing things that just simply aren't true if we've got a word from the Lord. That we can thank God for truth even if we haven't experienced its outcome yet. That makes sense? And so what do you believe to be true? Do we believe what we see with our eyes? What we hear with our ears? Do we believe what we feel? Or do we believe what the Lord has said and spoken to be true? And if that's truth then that's the first piece of armor that we've got to put on today. So we're going to read through this whole little passage of Scripture, starting with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. That is the Greek trifecta that Paul tells us uh, in chapter 1. So he's starting Ephesians in chapter 1 with the Greek trifecta of strength, might, and power. And he's finishing at the end of chapter 6, strength, might, and power. Our God is not weak. Yeah, Our God is strong. Yeah. Whatever you are battling today, you have a source of power that can overcome what the enemy is battling you with. So finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. For our struggle is not against flesh. Excuse me, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand. That word stand means to take a ground, take ground, forward advance ground, and then hold that ground. 
And so many of us in the room, we feel like we're losing ground, but in the strength of the Lord, we take ground and we hold it. Then we take some more ground and we hold it. And we take. If you're backing up, that's called. We used to say this word backsliding. I'm not talking about sin necessarily. I'm talking about losing ground to the enemy. And in our city, in our home, in our family, in our personal heart, we've got to stand in the strength of the Lord and refuse to lose any more ground. How many of y'all have lost ground and it's time to take it back? Amen. So what we want to do is put on the full armor of God, not the partial armor, but the full armor of God so that we will be able to stand firm against the schemes, the wiles of the devil. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. We have a real enemy. Somebody say amen. Therefore... Take up the, again, second time he says this, the full armor of God. It is not enough to be partially armored up. you got to have it all. Somebody say amen. So take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the devil. So you'll be able to resist the devil in the evil day. And having done everything, you stand firm. That's our position. We are standing firm, fully armored. In verse 14, where we are today, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which will be for you able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 14, one more time. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for the word of God. Not just a ceremonial, as we just heard, a thank you, but God, we are legitimately grateful and thankful that you have spoken to our hearts by the word of God. And so we apply the word, we cherish it, we hold it as something precious in our hearts and in our spirits, and we cherish the word, not to let it go in one ear and out the other, but to take the word of the Lord and to apply it to our lives today. And so right now, before we even step and put on that belt of truth and stand our ground, we thank you for truth. We are grateful for the truth of your word. We're grateful that we uh, have the ability to put on truth and that it will do something. It will change our lives. It will affect us. It will, as your word, as you said in John chapter 8, the truth will set us free. So this morning, we thank you for freedom via the truth. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with Truth, the belt of truth. You have to ask yourself as we start here, uh, why didn't we start with the breastplate of righteousness? Why didn't we start with the boots of the gospel of peace? Why didn't we start with the shield of faith or the sword of the spirit? Why didn't we start with that helmet? Man, I really need my head protected first. There's a reason why truth is first. There's a reason, there's a reason why the belt of truth comes first. All right? Let me give you a couple of reasons why the belt of truth comes first. First of all, it combats the first thing Satan attacks us with. When the enemy comes, the first thing he comes with is a lie. 
Y'all help me preach. Right, right? Y'all helping me this morning? The first thing he comes with is a lie. To get you to believe something that is not truth. To get you to question the word the Lord has spoken to you. Amen? The first thing the enemy comes with us is a lie. So the first thing we have to have is truth. John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the Jews. Uh, verse 31, Jesus saying to the Jews who had believed him, saying, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And verse 32 you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth sets us free, and the scripture says that sin or the lie entangles us. It snares us, entangles us. But we've grown up in a culture of, of religion or whatever that teaches us that truth is bondage. It's like it, it restricts us. We don't get to have fun. Truth sets us free, and the sin or the lie is the thing that, it's like shackles that wrap around us and, and cut us off, right? So when you're in truth, man, your life is open, your life is free. When you're in sin, you're in bondage. That makes sense? When you believe a lie, you believe something that holds you captive. If you're in this room this morning and you're believing a lie, uh, go back a few weeks ago when I preached about the Father God and, and how... We believe a lie based upon maybe something our earthly father treated us. And my point is, if you believe a lie from the enemy, if you believe a lie from hell, that lie holds you in bondage. The very nature is this is a soldier who's going to be armored up, who's putting on this armor, and he's not just playing dress up. He's not just trying to dress up for a parade. No, he's putting on this armor because God is equipping him and sending him. Here I am, send me. How many of y'all just saying that? God is equipping him to be sent to be uh, uh, an agent of the conquering king who takes ground. And the thing about it is, is we can never move forward to stand and to take ground if we're in bondage with a lie. If we believe something that isn't true, does that make sense? And so you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you skip on down to verse uh, 44, Jesus teaches us something about Satan. They, they, they say, ah, the truth, what, you know, our father is Abraham, and, and Jesus says, actually, guys, your father is the devil. Right? Literally, the reason Jesus says this is they, they're trying to look up to Jesus and saying, who are you to tell us something? Our father is Abraham. And he says, actually, your father's uh, the devil. You are of, and not only, not only is your father the devil, uh, you're like the spawn of Satan. That's what it says. You're of the devil. I had an aunt who always used to call me the spawn of Satan. <laughs> I don't know why I remembered that, but there it is, okay? So anyway, but you are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires, somebody say amen, amen. of your father. When King David is repenting because he sins with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, he says, Lord, 
Give me, grant me a willing spirit to sustain me because I had a spirit that had desire after the things of the flesh, but now I need the spirit that makes me will and want to do the things of God. That's where truth is. It says, uh, you want to do the desires of your father. Now he begins to teach us about uh, Satan. He says, hey, he was a murderer from the beginning. The Satan has a plan for your life. It's to kill, steal, and destroy. Somebody say amen. Satan has a plan for your family. Kill, steal, and destroy. Satan has a plan for your neighborhood. Satan has a plan for this church. Satan has a plan for this city. Kill, steal, and destroy. Why do we know? Because he was a murderer from the beginning. Right? And the way he introduced that murderous spirit was to begin with a deception of compromise. A lie. So this is what he says. There is no truth in him. I want to tell you that you cannot justify any thought of hell into being correct. You cannot justify any thought of the enemy and twist it eventually into being truth. It is from hell. It is a lie. It doesn't matter how much sense it makes to your fleshly mind. If it's from hell, if it's from the father, Satan, it's a lie. It doesn't matter if it's factual. It's a lie. You hear what I'm saying to you? So, when Satan speaks, when Satan moves, uh, well, you know, I can, I, I can tolerate this certain amount of bitterness or unforgiveness or I can tolerate this certain amount of offense or I can tolerate this because of what we can create a justification for a lie. But the thing about it is, is you can't tolerate it because it's a lie. Right? The truth will set you free, but staying in those things will create bondage. It will shackle you, handcuff you. You cannot be a soldier and go fight the good fight as long as you're under the bondage of a lie, shackled in, shackled in the lie. So whenever he points out that he speaks a lie, and Jesus points out that that when he speaks, he speaks a lie. So if you hear the voice of God and you recognize it as truth, and you hear the voice of the enemy and you recognize it as, you, you don't recognize it as a lie because you want it to be true, because you want to find justification to harbor whatever you're harboring in your life. You understand what I'm saying to you? And, and, and so whenever Satan speaks, he speaks from his own nature. What is this nature? Uh, one version says he speaks his native tongue, that when he speaks, it is a lie. It's all he can say. Even when he quotes scripture, because truth is a spirit, even when he quotes scripture, it's a lie because it's spoken from his nature, not from the nature of the Son of God. Nature matters, the native tongue matters. You hear what I'm saying? So, uh, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. And when you believe him, 
You are, you are shackled and unable to be a soldier, to be a sent one, and to fight the good fight and to change your family, your city, your home, your situation, or your life because you're shackled by a lie. So the first thing you have to do is to unshackle the lie and to put on and gird yourself with truth. That's why it's first. It's because the lie comes first, so truth comes first. To combat the lie. We live in a culture, we live in a society where, where, where as far as the world is concerned, there is no difference between truth and a lie. We're calling evil good and calling uh, good evil, right? It, it, it's, it's amazing to me. Most of us who are believers, it's obvious what the lie is. Y'all help, help a pastor preach this morning. It's obvious what the lie is, but it's not obvious to the people who are shackled and in bondage and have the voice of, the, of Satan in their ear. What do you, right? I could go down issue after issue after issue. What do you mean you believe this? That's, that's, this, is, this is against nature. This is not even natural. It's so obvious to lie, and they could be so deceived Believing a lie that it holds them in bondage to an idea that the enemy planted in their head. And until they get set free, they will drive their life off a cliff of destruction believing a lie about themselves. So the first thing that that person needs to do is be born again and then put on truth. That's why truth is first. Are you with me? I really almost... Um, brought like a robe type thing that, that, that they would wear back in that day, but it would create a mental picture that you don't want to see and have in your brain implanted. So I'm going to try to just uh, articulate that. But what it says here is, um, well, let me just read you this quote from Francis Falk's commentary on Ephesians chapter 6. It says, in order... The order in which the pieces of armor, right? You have, you have, look, you have truth, a belt, a breastplate, and boots. And you have a shield, a sword, and a helmet. And the order is important. And the reason we put on uh, the belt first is because actually, well, it says, let me just read the quote. In order which the pieces of armor are described is the order which the soldier would put them on. Strictly, the girdle, the belt, is not part of the armor. You hear what I'm saying? The belt's not part of the armor. Right? You've never in your life thought, I need to put on armor. Where's the belt? <laughs> right? You think shield, you think breastplate, you think helmet, you think chain mail, right? You think something, but you never go, I'm going to battle up. Where's my belt? Unless you've been told to do that by the scripture, right? Right? Because the belt actually isn't a piece of the armor. A belt is what you have to put on before you can even put on the armor. Yeah. What point is righteousness if it's put on a lie? Oh, I'm preaching now. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah. What, what point is righteousness if it's put on to the lie? Yeah. What point is a gospel of peace if it's deceived? Yeah. Hello, modern church. What point is a gospel? It will create a false peace that isn't real, that twists the scriptures to bring something that's not true, and they'll call it a gospel of peace. It sounds like a gospel of peace. It kind of looks like a gospel of peace. Everybody kumbaya, y'all get along. But actually, it's built on a lie. Because 
What good is a sword if it can't hang off truth? What good is the word if it's twisted? Satan did this. He took the scriptures and he twisted it because the foundation of his heart isn't truth. He isn't girded in truth. He speaks lies. Right? So the belt is what we put on before. I, I can't put anything else on until I put on truth. Right? Can't put anything else on until I put on truth. Truth comes first. So, let's talk about what truth is. Truth, hear me, truth is girded. It takes the loose things and tightens them up. Now, Jesus did not wear blue jeans. He didn't wear dockers. He didn't wear pants. The Roman soldier wasn't wearing GI-issued army pants. They were wearing these robe-like things. And matter of fact, if you go all the way back into the Old Testament scriptures, the way they would dress is they had these robes, right? They had these uh, cloaks and robes and basically pieces of cloth that they wore like a dress full length. When Jesus comes back, he's wearing a robe, and the reason it's dipped in blood is because the bottom of it, is, you see what I'm saying? It's touching where the blood from the, from the army, right, the battle. And so there's this, they're wearing these robes. And as far back in the Old Testament as we can read, one of the first things that any time a warrior went into battle or, or to take a message for the war, the first thing he had to do was to gird up his loins. I've not worn many dresses. I, I wish I could say I've never worn a dress. But, uh, you know, when I was about eight, my, uh, my aunts dressed me up as a little girl for Halloween, and my grandpa was genuinely deceived. It was weird. He's like, you're a pretty little girl. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Anyway, that's... I mean, all these memories just keep coming out while I'm preaching. So you got this deal. I, I mean, again, I don't have a lot of experience here. I'm assuming you got this robe on and you want to run. Remember when I think it was King David told one of his servants to run and take the message to Joash or, jo, or whatever his name was. And he literally about, he outran. Remember, he outran the enemy and he had to take his uh, what he would do is he'd take the robe. He would pull it up above his knees, almost like a diaper. He would grab the bottom from the back, two sides. He would bring it around his waist, the bottom of the rope, and he would tie it in a knot. And it would pull, and it would make the bottom half of his garment, the bottom half of his garment, into like this diaper-looking thing. I don't know how to say it. And he would tie it up, and it freed his legs and gave him the ability to run. If he tried running, if he tried outrunning the enemies of Israel with this, he could only stride so far until, the, until what he was wearing would limit his ability to move. So the reason you have to take truth and, and you pull your robe up and you gird your loins and you tie it off and you, put, and you tie that up 
in truth is so that you have the ability to freely, truth sets you, freely move and do as a warrior and a soldier the work of the, of the warrior. But if we don't, if we allow things in our life to remain loose, Preaching, Baron, you're shouting. If we allow things to remain loose and just free flowing, and we don't tighten up some things in our life, if we and we're too casual with the truth, and we're too, and we just, you know, we're free flowing and floating and all kinds. No, no, no. We have to tight. We have to tighten these things up because we got a race to run, and we've got to move. And so the first thing that the soldier would have to do was to prepare himself for action, and the thing that prepares him for action is truth. We live in a day, we live in a day where truth is classified as a lie. And if you speak it, if you speak it, you get ostracized by society. And so what has created is a people of truth who don't gird up their loins because they don't want what the other people are saying. You understand what I'm saying? There's a timidity with truth. And the whole concept of truth is a call to action. Let me just talk to you for a second. Passivity. You don't gird up your loins to take a nap. You don't gird up your loins just to chill. Netflix and chill. You don't gird up your loins just to sit back. You gird up your loins to get in the fight. Somebody say amen. You gird up your loins to prepare yourself for battle to get into the action. Let's talk about what passivity brings. Okay? Passivity. So, in other words, if you gird up your loins, it's a call to action. If you don't and you, and you leave your robe free-flowing, it, it's, it's a sign that you're laid back. It's a sign that you're passive in this moment. David was not... Uh, David didn't have his uh, robe girded up when he was free-flowing walking around the rooftop. He should have been at war... He sh- literally, he would have literally had his loins girded, prepared for battle, but instead he was passively on a rooftop looking what the world had to offer. So passivity brought forth sin. Gideon is a warrior, and he's in a passive state of sleep, and his strength gets cut off. He's slumbering, right? Noah had just, wrote, had, just, had just brought the world through one of the greatest trials, but he's in a drunken sleep and he gets taken advantage of. Right? Absalom has his sword stolen out of his tent while he is sleeping. And I want to say, look at me, church. I want to say the call to truth is a call to action. The call to truth is a call to, for a slumbering church to wake up and to, and, to, and to gird her loins and to put on that belt of truth and to be decisively prepared for battle. We've slept and we've been, we've been taken advantage of. We've slept and we've, we've laid down in a lie and we're losing ground 
The church is losing ground because it's late. It's, it, it's taking it easy. But the church needs, come on, the church needs to rise up. And the first thing she needs to do is, is, is in preparing for battle, is she needs to gird her loins in truth. You hear what I'm saying to you? You hear what I'm saying to you? We've so kind of gotten out of the mentality of an advancing, warring bride. We've so gotten out of the mentality of, of, of a church who's supposed to take ground, right? And we're just trying to exist. Are y'all out there this morning? Just trying to maintain it best. We've, 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 we've even forgot the battle is real. And I'm, I'm here preaching to you this day that we're supposed to armor up. We're supposed to prepare ourselves for battle. Prepare ourselves to make peace. To, to, we're supposed to, to do these things. But the first thing we got to do is prepare ourselves for action. It's almost like we want God to come hand everything to us on a silver platter. Right? But we, have, we don't have our loins girded up. If God said run at this very moment, there's too much we would trip over. You hearing me? So the first thing you do is you got to take the truth of God, you got to gird up your loins, and you got to tie up the loose things in our life. There's a reason why, and I, and, I'm, and, I, and I had no plan to preach this, there's a reason why the first step before here am I send me is let my lips have to be touched with repentance. It's because i got to take the loose things Come on, somebody. I got to take the loose things and they need to be tied up in truth. Okay, it's a good day. Y'all out there? <laughs> truth, let me tell you what truth is. The first thing truth is, is truth is a person and his name is Jesus. I want to destroy a mindset. Truth is not a way of thinking. It's not just a mindset. Uh, truth is not facts. Truth is not just because something is factual or my favorite thing, just because something says I'm keeping it real. That reality is, is built on a lie. Just because I'm keeping it real. No, no, no. If, if I'm keeping it real, puts you out of faith, puts you out of trust, causes you to uh, ungird your loins and just chill, right? If that reality causes you, gives you any permission to believe a lie, it's not truth. It may be as real as the wall, but the, the, the wall is fake. Its foundation is not true. Perfect example. Modern science wants to teach us, and there's not a lot of truth in some of the modern science, especially when it tells you that a small clump of cells is just what? It's just a small clump of cells, right? But what is it? What's the truth? What is it? It's life. So they'll say the fact is it's a small clump of cells. You can say fact all day long. But it does not change the truth that the small clump of cells is in truth, a life. And so what separates the church is that 
and separates, uh, uh, not all science is bad, but what separates the church and what separates, quote, unquote, science that calls a lump of cells uh, invaluable is that you can believe a fact or you can have a conviction on what is life. And the difference between truth and facts is truth brings it with the conviction and the conviction will govern how you live your life. Because if you believe it's a lump of cells, you can by fact destroy a lump of cells. But if you know the truth, then the truth demands you treat life as life and it's a conviction. And that same conviction in truth governs all areas of our life, including everything the Word of God tells us. So I don't have, I, I have a conviction about what the Word of God tells me. That makes sense. Right? So to be deceived is to believe something even if it's real. Even if it's real, but it's not truth. Because truth isn't a way of thinking. Truth isn't the process of reason. Truth is a person. And secondly, it's a spirit. It's the person of Jesus. Jesus said, throw up the scripture, I am the way, the... Hello, everybody. I am the way, the... See what I think? I mean, just tell me what's happening. Last week, it, I, I turned the air down, way down, and it was cold, and everybody shivered. But when you shivered, you stayed awake. Now I turned it up, and it's kind of warm. And I'm... So I'm going back to cold. I'm going to get my phone out. We're going to set it on 65, and I will shiver you to wake. Shiver me timbers. Truth is... Listen, the truth is, Jesus is truth. This is, uh, where, where's an example of this? John chapter 11, right? Martha, Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Uh, Martha, your brother's going to live again. Well, I know he'll live again at the resurrection in the last day. What she said was a fact. Come on. What she said was a fact, but she was not seeing the truth standing right in front of her. What you believe is an event that's factual, but I'm telling you, I am the resurrection. I am the truth you're looking for. Because truth isn't a set of ideas. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. So representing Jesus supersedes our facts. Representing Jesus supersedes our opinions and our ideas and what we believe about what is reality. Amen? Truth... It's from a different source, and it's not an idea. It's a person. His name is Jesus. Secondly, truth is a spirit. The scripture says, um, verse, let's go to uh, John 16, 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes. Everybody say spirit of truth. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. Look at me. Look at me. You can be guided by thoughts even if they're factual, even if they're quote-unquote reality, or you can be guided by the spirit of truth. And the spirit of truth may guide you to do something contrary to the reality. I'm preaching real good. The spirit of truth may guide you to do something contrary to the reality, and you have to step out of reality to step into the spirit to do what the spirit is saying, believing that what the spirit is saying is more true than what my eyes see and my ears hear. That's called faith. 
You see what I'm saying? So the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you in all truth. If you're believing a lie, it's because you're not in the spirit. Somebody say amen. If you're believing a lie, it's because you're not in the spirit. Because if you're, if you're in the spirit, the spirit guides you in all truth. When I begin to question what God said, when I begin to doubt in my heart what God's doing, when I begin to come under the bondage of the lie that the enemy is hurling those darts right at my right at my heart, and I and I'm and, and, and they're hitting because I'm not armored up. And, and, and those things are coming at me. I'm a failure. Or you're this, you're that, you're that, you're this, you're that. When those things are coming at me, the first thing I have to do is get in the Spirit and put on truth. And go with what the Word of the Lord says. That makes sense? If we Look at me. It is human nature that when the going gets tough, the first thing we forsake is prayer. It's human nature. That when the going gets tough, the first thing we stop doing is getting in the Word and praying. But it's God's nature that when things get tough, the first thing we do is to put our nose into the truth and to get into the Spirit. And to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the desires or the lusts or the deception of of the flesh. That's the first thing the soldier has to do. When he, the spirit of truth comes, will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative. See, he's speaking from the Father, not the Father of lies, but he's speaking from the Father God, who is I am that I am, who can only speak truth. There is no lie in his mouth. Is there a lie in God the Father's mouth? Then how come the first thing that Chester battles and you battle is to hear what he said and to doubt what he said? The first thing that Satan did was to say to Adam and Eve, did God really say? He never lied. He can't lie. When he speaks, it is absolutely truth. But the first thing hell comes to do is to make us to doubt what we know is to be the most absolute truth that ever existed. The word of God. The, I'm not talking about just the, I'm talking about the scripture. I'm talking about the words of God. His word is truth. Everything else is a lie. And so Jesus says that the spirit will come. He'll bring all truth because he don't even speak of his own accord. That's what Satan does. He speaks from his own initiative, but the spirit has more uh, character and scruples than that. He doesn't say what the spirit thinks. He says what the father says. Jesus is the same way. Jesus is not speaking from his own mind. I only say what I hear the father saying. See, Satan is selfish and he says what he's thinking. Whenever you reserve the right, would say what's on your mind rather than going and getting what God has said about your situation, you can tell where your source is. I didn't think that would go over real well. Jesus doesn't speak from his own heart. The Spirit doesn't speak from his own mind. They both speak from what the Father is saying. That is absolutely, you have to get what God says, and you speak what God says. And I'm telling you, it's a battle, right? It's a battle. That's why you got to tie that thing up and put a belt on it and cinch it up one more hole. And you got to get it tight. I will not believe a lie. I will not believe what the enemy's saying. I will not be deceived. I will not compromise. What he said is truth, and I will stand in what he has said. That's the only way. That's the only way I can take any ground. 
is to stand in what he has said. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. So, there's a couple things I want to. I just want to. I want to clarify here. One, look at me. We've got to stop being so passive as a people. Uh, maybe we should call it the Church of the Bulldog. I mean, passive. And I kind of go to church when I feel like it. I kind of talk to other people about Jesus if, you know, if it's convenient. Right out there? Why, soldier, are you armoring up if there is no war to fight? If there is no battle to be had? Where is the fighting spirit in the church? And I hear so many people saying, I feel beat down, I feel beat down, I feel beat down. I feel like just everything attacking and beat down. And it, I get you. I understand where you're coming from, but that's not truth. It may be your reality. But the truth is, it's time to armor up. And the first thing you need to do is to gird your loins. I'm going to get into a mindset where I'm not taking any more stuff off the devil. You can translate that in the Greek however you would like to. I'm not taking any more stuff off the devil. Not for my home, not for my city. Not for my peace, not for my mind. Not for my family. I'm tired of losing ground. How tired are you? Are you tired enough to gird up your loins? Are you tired enough? There's one line in the song we sang for the first time this morning that truth cuts like an arrow. And it may be unpopular. There's two types of people in the world. There's people who enjoy being unpopular. Uh, I go back to truth as a spirit. Right? I, I've used this, I use this illustration a hundred thousand times. I'll use it one more time. Two disciples, sons of thunder, get their names because they believe they can call down fire from heaven to destroy the enemies of God. What they are saying was a reality in the Old Testament scriptures and they believe can be a reality again because they believe that, had that they, they actually do have that kind of authority from God. They've been sent out two for two. They've healed the sick. They've raised the dead. They've cast out demons. We can do what we saw the prophet do and we can call fire from heaven. It was a reality. It might even been a fact that Jesus gets on them because he says, you don't know what spirit you're of. So there's some people who love being the uh, truth person who like, just calls out everybody's wrong. There's other people who, who, who are so compromised in, in, in truth that they don't think they can speak to anybody's situation because let alone somebody might speak to their situation, right? And the truth is compromised. What we need is a people who understand what truth is. It's Jesus Christ and it's the Spirit. And they gird up their loins and they are able to speak truth in the spirit into a situation and watch it change. You will speak truth and it won't be popular with everybody. Somebody say amen. But I think you'll be shocked that what people, how people will respond when they actually hear truth. 
I think this world, if it's not too deceived, is sick of the lies and they're just looking for somebody to tell them the truth. So the first thing we got to have is truth. Stop being passive, gird up our loins, tie them up, and put a belt around it. Hang the sword off of it. Uh, what good is yielding a sword if it's hung off a lie? Put on some truth. Get in the word. Pray in the spirit. Believe what God says more than what your eyes say and your ears say. And start living from the position of truth. Only whenever you have applied truth in your life, then you can put on righteousness. Then you can put on the gospel of peace, and it will be true. Then you can put on faith. What good is faith in a lie? What's your faith in? Somebody tell me, what is your faith in? Say it real loud to the deaf guy. What is your faith in? Jesus, right? He is truth. He's only saying what the father of truth speaks, right? So my faith in a lie will still get me killed. But my faith in truth. This is what I was feeling in worship. I believe that there's people in the room it's like we're gun shy to go out and step out in faith and to do what God's called us to do and do what God's put in our hearts to do. It's because we believe the lie that if we obey God we would fail. This is why I love the train message because we're, 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 we're following a king who's got victory after victory after victory after victory on his train. Look at me. It may not be easy. It may not be popular. But if you will contend for what God has spoken to you and follow that word, you're not going to fail because it's truth. Because it's victory. Jesus was dying on the cross. It was a reality. But it wasn't truth. Because three days later, he resurrected from the dead. And you may feel like you're being crucified at this moment. But the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you. And that is the truth. Stand up on your feet. Bulldog Church. It's time for you to grab a hold of what God said with some tenacity. Amen, Chester. It's, it's time for you to grab a hold of what God said and don't let go. Stand your ground. When doubt comes in, nope, that's not what God said. Be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt. No fear, no doubt in our hearts. What God said is the truth. And it's as true and real. It's, it's, it's as real as the end of the notes. I said this at Miss Ann's uh, uh, homegoing service Friday. The pain in his heart, the grief and the sorrow is as real as he can feel right now. 54 years of marriage. That hurt, that pain, it's real. Yeah. But I'm telling you, 
The reality of the hope of Jesus and the truth is, is as real as the pain is right now, the reality and the fact and the truth is he will see her again. That is the hope we have in Christ Jesus who defeated death and rose from the grave and put resurrection life in every believer. That is truth. And the pain may feel real, but it's not as real as one day for eternity you will lay eyes on her again and you will worship around the throne with God again. Truth. Look at me. Too many of us are living in a moment that is based in reality but is not based in truth. Am I making sense to you? What you feel may be real. But the truth is what God says about it. That's where the first battle really is. Before that soldier ever crosses the threshold into the battlefield, it's in his heart and in his mind. He puts on that, he girds his loin, he puts on the belt, and he says, Is this war true? He's got to muster up the courage inside of his own heart to go to the battlefield. Right? Right? So, Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would, the mandate is not that you put on the belt. The mandate is that we would apply truth to our life we grab a hold of the word we grab a hold of the belt we gird up our loins and we tie this thing up tight we forsake the lie we cast it down and we believe the truth of what God has said over our life over our situation over our family, over our city. May God be truth and every man be a liar. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said.